Welcome to St. James. It's good to see you guys. Welcome to everybody who's watching online as well. We miss all of you and hope to see you soon. Uh, going through the announcements today, uh, there's no youth confirmation today. There's no Sunday evening prayer tonight, and then there's no new members class tonight. So uh, if you're involved in any of those things, you can take the rest of the day off after morning worship. All the Bible studies are on this week, so um, uh, if you want to be involved in any of those, uh, let me know, and I can get you hooked up with those. Hey, a quick update on, um, we took up a, a free will offering to do uh, like a fellowship event for the high school teachers uh, several months ago, and that event happened this past Friday. We made a mistake of trying to do it too late in the school year, and then it happened this past Friday, though, and from what I hear, it did what we were hoping it would do to give the teachers a chance to hang out with each other and spend time with, the, with each other in each other's lives. I want to say thank you to Cheryl, who just did a ton of work to get that ready. I mean, a ton of work. And hopefully we can keep on doing that as a church, supporting, uh, not just putting Cheryl to hard labor, but uh, uh, supporting the high school in any way uh, that we can. Uh, I think that's, there was something else I wanted to say, but I can't remember what it is. Uh, I have a couple of people uh, coming to do some announcements about youth group stuff. So uh, whichever one of you is coming first. Good morning, everybody. Um, I wanted to tell you all about a project that the youth group is doing. We're selling wreaths, Christmas wreaths. There are two sizes of wreaths, and the one is 22 inches big, and so it's pretty big. And the other one is 12 inches. It's more of a, it's a smaller one. The, the larger one is $35. The smaller one is $20. The money that we raise for this is going to go towards the youth gathering this coming summer. These wreaths are beautiful. They're very aromatic. They're fresh. They're from a, a nursery in um, St. Louis. And so I, I would encourage you to order one. You can order, you can um, tell Katie or um, Ruth or Stacy if you would like one, or let uh, the office know, or myself too. So thank you. Also, the Youth for Life group, which is a new group this year, uh, we're usually meeting at Metro, but it's open to any kid in um, high school or college in the Southern Illinois area. Um, and we're a pro-life organization, but we also do life-affirming activities like suicide prevention and mental health awareness um, in addition to our pro-life ministry. Um, and we are hoping to take a trip to Washington, D.C. in January for the March for Life in Washington. And so we are looking to raise funds for that. So next weekend, we're having a spaghetti dinner right after church, and it'll be to go. So if you just want to come downstairs and get some spaghetti and some salad and a roll, um, we'll box it up for you, and you can take it along with you. Let me know if you have any questions about that. Okay, stand with me if you would, and let me pray for us, and then we'll get, get going. Father... Uh, we come to you today uh, with all sorts of, we all want to be right. We all want to know that we're valued. We want to know that our life has worth. And so uh, we come here today with all those aspirations and goals, but we also come here with the shame of knowing that we don't meet, meet up with those aspirations and goals and that um, we, we fall short of the standard that we've even set for ourselves. And uh, we have shame and we need you, Father, to affirm, again, that you love us for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. That's really our only hope for uh, moving forward as human beings, is to know that you're a God who loves us. And so we come here today primarily looking for your face, looking for your presence. Uh, give yourself to us. We need you. We don't need more instruction. We've already botched that up. We need you. And so, Father, today in your word and in the praises of your people and in Holy Communion, Will you please, for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, give us yourself. We pray this in his name. Amen. Let's continue in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let us then confess our sins to God our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. 
We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve Your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of Your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in Your will and walk in Your ways to the glory of Your holy name. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the Gospel of Christ from Romans chapter 5. This is what Paul says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stay standing for the first hymn. this morning is from Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, I, I, I just now remember, I know this is awkward in the middle of the service. I just remember what I wanted to say. I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who uh, gave me and Angela nice cards uh, for Pastor's Appreciation Month. I, I, that should have been in the announcements, but uh, you guys are super generous, and um, this is really a dream scenario for me and Angela to be in a church like this, where everybody loves each other so much, and people take care of us. Honestly, like every, I, I, I feel like it's always Pastor Appreciation Month. And you guys are real kind and gracious, and before I read from Isaiah, I did not want to forget to tell you thank you for 
not, not, not just the cards, but everybody here who is so good to, to me and Angela too. So, Isaiah 45, um, assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the gospel reading. The Holy Gospel according to St. John chapter 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, this is a part of a longer conversation, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you'll become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. By faith we see the hand of God In the light of creation's grand design In the light
epistle reading uh, for this morning, which is also the sermon text, is uh, from Galatians 2, uh, 11 through 20. It's a classic justification by faith text. So let me set it up a little bit because we're just jumping right into the middle of the story. In uh, the book of Galatians, the letter of Galatians, Paul is arguing to the people who live in the churches in Galatia that they are right with God because of Jesus Christ, and they don't need to take on any of the ethnic Jewish badges that the people of God before Jesus had to have in order to be fully Christian. Specifically in Galatians, he's talking about circumcision. But the Sabbath laws, food laws, dietary restrictions, they don't need those in order to be true Christians. That's kind of his big argument, that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. So he says in chapter 2, he says, this is, like, this is the gospel that God gave to me, and it's the truth. And I actually told the apostles about this, and I said, hey, look, me and some other people are preaching the gospel to the Gentiles without telling them any sort of like, you know, circumcision laws or food laws, and they're coming to faith. And he says, I actually went up to Jerusalem, and I talked to the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, and I told them this, and they said to me, that's cool, you're good to go. Just keep on preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, and the only thing you really need to ask them to do is please don't forget to serve and love the poor. But other than that, you're good to go. And he said, so, so I thought we were cool. And then I was in Antioch, and Peter came up to Antioch, and Peter was hanging out with us. And it was me and all these Gentile Christians, and Peter, we were all eating together, and we weren't worried about food restrictions or like, you know, associating with Gentiles. But then Peter, some people came up from Jerusalem, from the church, some Jewish Christians. Peter freaks out and decides, as long as they're here, I'm not going to eat with the Gentiles anymore. And that's where our reading's at, verse 11. But when Cephas, which is a nickname for Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. Peter was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. You know, the group of Jewish Christians who said, Jesus is great, we have to believe in Jesus to be saved. But also, you got to get circumcised too. That's in the Bible. Peter was afraid of them, and so Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? When these guys aren't here, you live like a Gentile. And everybody's fine with it. But when these guys show up, all of a sudden, you decide, no, now I have to live like an ethnic Jew. And what that does is it sends a message to the Gentiles that you guys have to start living like ethnic Jews if you want to be real Christians. You're undermining the gospel, uh, Peter, Paul says. Verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. He says to, uh, uh, he says to Peter, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the word of the Lord. So, uh, uh, Reformation Sunday, this is October 31st, uh, it happens to fall on a Sunday this year. So a lot of uh, um, Christian churches today are observing uh, the anniversary, you don't need to know this, uh, this is uh, trivia actually, the anniversary of the date in 1517 when Martin Luther nails the 95 Theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, and that kicks off a series of events which leads to lots of Christians being kicked out of the Roman Catholic Church and becoming a part of what Luther liked to call the evangelical church, the gospel church. Um, that legacy primarily, primarily centers around the story of Luther, who was a Roman Catholic monk and professor of very deeply involved in scripture teaching, but very, very convicted of his own personal moral guilt 
not able to get out from underneath that moral guilt. Every time he would turn to the Bible, he would see more moral guilt being put on him. He read Romans 1, 16 and 17, which says, I, I, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation. To all who believe, because in it, the righteousness of God has been revealed. Luther read that as bad news. The righteousness of God being revealed means that a holy God looks at me, an unrighteous person, and his righteousness is going to blow me up. Luther freely admitted, like, I believed in God, but I was ticked off at God. Because why would he hang that over my head? This, I don't like you, I'm opposed to you, I'm going to blow you up someday. Through, through studying Scripture, uh, uh, through prayer, Luther came to see that actually it's a good thing, that the righteousness of God is not against us, but the righteousness of God is a gift that God gives to us that liberated him and uh, was basically kicking off the Reformation. I, th- this text, the reason why we're reading it today is it's one of the classic two texts that Luther would go to when talking about justification by faith. Verse uh, 16, especially, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. All right, I want to unpack that, but first of all, before we do that, i got to do like two key terms so that we all are on the same page with what we're talking about. Justification, it's easy to hear that word, especially if you grew up in Protestant church, to hear that word and be like, okay, yeah, that's Jesus' word. That means like I'm going to heaven when I die. So let me, let's be a little bit more definite about that. The word justification is a courtroom word, and it means this, that God in his courtroom has declared those who are in Jesus Christ completely worthy and not guilty of any sins. It's a courtroom word. Gospel, so that's justification. When we talk about justification, it's a question of like, do I have worth? Gospel, which is a word he also uses, remember he confronts Peter about not walking in step with the truth of the gospel in verse 14. The gospel is the proclamation that God in Jesus Christ, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has now become king again and sits as the final authority. That makes him the judge, which gives him, I mean, he's the, he's the Supreme Court. It gives, it gives God himself in Jesus Christ the right to say who's in and who's out. Look, all through your life, you're going to be like judged and condemned. You're going to be doing it to yourself. You're going to feel it from other people. You as a Christian have the right to always appeal to a higher court once you get that condemnation sentence. And you can take that right up to the Supreme Court. And when you get to the Supreme Court and there's only one person sitting on the bench and it's God and Jesus Christ, he's going to say to you, not guilty, you're completely worthy. That's what the gospel, that's how the gospel and justification relate to each other. All right, Luther was, Luther was totally in on this. It, it, it completely changed his life. And it created churches like ours, not just Lutheran churches, but churches like ours. What we need to do, though, is we need to constantly be going back to this doctrine for fresh expressions of it. And here's why. Luther was oppressed by deep moral guilt. He wanted to be right with God. And he thought, I have to do good works in order to make God happy. And he knew I just can't do them. And he knew he lived in a culture of lots of religious people who were going to church all the time and felt like, I have to do good to be accepted by God. Now, here's the issue. This is why we need fresh expression of this. In many churches, in many Protestant churches today, a pastor is going to stand up and is going to say, I have good news for you. You do not have to do good works to be pleasing to God. You do not need to obey the Ten Commandments to make God happy. God loves you in Jesus Christ and completely accepts you on the basis of Christ's death and resurrection. Lots of people are going to say that. A, that's completely true. Completely true. Some of you also need to hear that all the time because some of you think, I have to do good deeds to be right with God. But here's why it needs a fresh expression. Because 99% of you, just be honest, I'm not going to take a straw poll or anything and ask you to raise your hands, but be, be honest. 99% of you, do you act, did you actually walk in here today thinking, I have to do good deeds or God's going to be unhappy with me? Did anybody think the only way for me to be right with God is to keep the Ten Commandments? 
I bet that hardly any of you thought, I have to keep the Ten Commandments to be right with God. And so the problem is, is if I stand up and preach, you don't have to keep the Ten Commandments to be right with God. All of you guys are going to hear, okay, blah, 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 Lutheran sermon, we already know this. Because it's actually not where you're at anymore. It's a good sermon, it's a proper sermon, if I had preached it 500 years ago to a group of people who really thought that they had to do good deeds to be right with God. But you don't anymore. So we have to figure, but by the way too, like some of you are like, what about unbelievers? I guarantee you that 99% of the people who aren't believers in Jesus also don't lay awake at night thinking, like, I just need to keep the Ten Commandments better so God will be happy with me. Our culture has abandoned God. Nobody ever thinks like, what are the good deeds I need to do to be right with God? That's not our problem anymore. And so what we have to do as good Lutherans, especially as good Christians, is to go back to the doctrine of justification by faith and say, where does it challenge us now? Because if you don't do that, if you just assume, well, that battle was fought 500 years ago, and now it's just a matter of like me saying true things and all of us agreeing that we're right, and we walk out of here assured that we're right about this. It doesn't help any of us. We have good news, though, because the doctrine of justification by faith is way bigger than how do you get in? Or how do you know you're going to go to heaven when you die? Evidenced by this story here. How many of you heard, how many of you have heard verse 16 explained, but outside of the story of Peter not eating food with Gentile Christians? However, justification by faith has everything to do with who you eat dinner with. If you don't read it like that, you're just like, okay, so Peter's being, he's not very nice, he's kind of being a bit of a racist, right? And then Paul's like, you know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but why is Paul like interrupting this? Con- he, like he should be telling Peter, like, be nicer, Peter. You need to be kinder to your fellow humans and your fellow Christians. Why does he introduce this stuff about justification by faith? Like that's how you know you're going to go to heaven when you die. That's not Peter's problem. He's already a Christian. I'll tell you why. Because Peter's problem is he doesn't believe in justification by faith in this moment. Peter's problem specifically, back in verse 14, is that he has abandoned the gospel. Look, this is a gospel issue. Now, t- today, I'm not going to preach about racism because that's the specific context that um, Paul and Peter are dealing with here. It's got a bunch of wider applications, though, that I want to get to, and that's just one of them. I'm not really going to talk about that, but I'm going to talk about a bunch of wider applications. How can our day-to-day lives reflect justification by faith? Let me give you three things here that are going to help us forward with this from this text. First of all, everybody does justification all the time. In this text, I think it's clear that justification is not like a how do I get in issue. It's a like how do I live my life issue. And the reason why is because everybody justifies all the time. Everybody needs justification. It's not a religious thing. I'm a religious person, although that's probably an unfortunate way to say that. But I need to be justified. You need to be justified. Every single person in the world needs some sort of justification for their existence. Look, the only way anybody rolls out of bed in the morning and says, you know what, I can do this. I have something to offer people. I have worth. Like, I have something that people need. Or even if, even if you're like, you're not even there, you're just like, the only thing I have to give the world is my pity. Like, my, 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 my you know, I'm Eeyore, my, my worthlessness. And I need pity from people. And I need them to understand how miserable my life has been and how hard I've worked and how bad my knees hurt. If that's, even, even that is a justification. Like that will get you out of bed in the morning. So justification is something everybody needs. Justification, let me say this again, is not a religious thing. It's a human thing. Everybody needs to know that like my existence here is worth something. Everybody does it. From the most devout religious person to the most devout atheist. Everybody does justification. And that's why in verses 11 and 16, you know, Paul comes to, Peter, Cephas he calls him, Peter doesn't want to eat anymore with the Gentile Christians because, like, his Jewish friends are going to look down on him. And Peter justifies, you know, what's Peter looking for? You know, what's Peter's justification here? Peter's justification is, is like, that's who I really am. That's what gives me worth. Like, if the, if the I'll say it this way, if the Jewish Christians aren't in town, Peter can be like, my value is I'm a Jesus person. And so I might not be a Gentile, but I can hang out and eat with these Gentile people because this is our value. But when the Jewish people come to town, his value is what? His justification for himself is, my value is 
I'm a pure ethnic Jew. I've inherited the Torah. I've been circumcised. I eat kosher. That becomes his reason for his existence, which trumps his previous reason for existence, his previous justification, which was Christ-centered and now becomes ethnically centered. So his racism actually is a gospel issue. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a gospel issue because he's justifying himself by his own ethnicity. What gives me worth? What gives me value? Where am I going to get my value from? And for Peter, it's ultimately here, my ethnicity. And Paul calls him on it. He says, you've abandoned the gospel. You're not living by justification by faith in Christ. You're living justification by yourself, by your ethnicity. So this circles around to a second point here. Justification, this means that justification for everybody is about where we get our identity from. Who are you? Who are you? If I ask you, who, who are you? What, is, what makes you, you? What gives you value? The answer will be your identity, and that will be your justification for your existence. And Peter says flip-flop here, right? Self-justification. Is, so that's, that's, let me make this point here. This is super important, actually, and a tad controversial if you're a theology nerd. In verse 16, uh, Paul says this, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Okay, I know that we as good Protestants are supposed to read that as like, some of you are like, well, yeah, see, he is saying you don't keep moral works in order to justify yourself. That's not what Paul's talking about. In the context, what are the works of the law that Paul is telling Peter that you don't need anymore? The works of the law are uh, circumcision, Sabbath, food separation laws, the laws from like Numbers and Deuteronomy which say do not eat or associate with Gentile pagans. Those are the works of the law. And now Paul is, you see what Paul is saying here? Paul is saying you aren't justified by that. It's not your Jewish ethnic badges which give you identity and meaning. It's faith in Jesus which give you identity and meaning. Wherever you lean on, whatever you lean on, again, I'll just reiterate and then we'll move on to some examples. Whatever you lean on for your purpose and your identity that's your justification, okay? Now, we have all kinds of these. I've got a handful of here. and We'll see how many I can work through in time. Uh, so Peter, when it comes down to it, Peter chooses to define himself, not by his relationship with Jesus, but through his ethnic identity. That's justification by works. That's justification by self. I'll give you some other examples. I've done this one here before. This is one of my favorite. Um, the movie Chariots of Fire is about two Olympic runners, Harold Abraham's and Eric Liddell, and they both are fantastic athletes, but they run for completely different reasons. And there's this famous line that Harold Abrahams, Harold Abrahams is explaining to somebody, prior to an Olympic race, he's explaining to somebody, why is it that running is so important to him? And here's what he says. In one hour's time, I'll be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor, four feet wide, the running lane with 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. So Harold Abrahams, not a Christian, he uses the word justify, and he's actually identically, using, identically the way Paul's using it here. Where do you get your justification? It's not about the prayer that you prayed to get in. It's not necessarily just about your baptism. It's not even about like going to heaven when you die or like how do I become a Christian. It's what gives you value. What's your identity? And for Harold Abrahams, trains for four years like crazy, and it boils down. He says it out loud. It boils down to, I get 10 seconds to run down this strip of grass, 10 seconds to justify my existence. My identity is wrapped up in these next two, 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 two to 10 seconds and how I do here. Do you see what he's saying? Who I am, my value, my worth is I'm an Olympic runner. Now, not many of you are, are, are Olympic runners, but there's other ways that this works. I'll give you a couple more. Some of these are, are like, I, I, I do these applications all the time just because I struggle with them, and I know that some of you struggle with them. Work is a big one, right? Like, if I ask you, like, if, if, if you and I meet and we haven't met before, and I say, you know, hey, my name's Aaron, and you say, hey, my name's whatever, the next question out of our mouth almost always is, what do you do? Like, what do you do for a living? Because, especially in Western culture, we're less human beings and more human doings. Like, we have, we have careers and vocations that define us. We get our purpose and our meaning from it. Who I am is wrapped up in my job. And you guys know the story a little bit. Like, I, uh, I've been fired before. I've been fired from a church. And it was gut-wrenching. Like, it was like somebody took a hand and 
thrust it into my chest and rip my heart out. Why was that? It wasn't just the money. That wasn't, I mean, being a pastor doesn't make a lot of money. I could find another job that made just as much money. It was my identity. It was who I was. It was how I evaluated myself. I had learned to like the way people looked at me as a pastor. I had learned to like the way people looked at me as a pastor, even when they didn't like pastors, to value that there was a certain sort of like disdain for pastors from some people and respect for pastors from other people. I had learned to live in that. It became who I was. And when it was taken away, a part of me died. Why? Same thing, Harold Abrahams. I have 30 minutes to stand in front of you and justify my existence on Sunday mornings. You're going to get sick and you're going to go to the hospital. And I have one hour to come and visit you and sit by your bedside and justify who I am to give worth by sitting there next to you. It's justification by works. Just as much as Peter was doing. Just as much as the Roman Catholics of, you know, of, of, of um, Luther's day were doing. It's just the same thing. Taking some sort of thing and finding my identity. I'm a good person. I don't usually do that, but I'm a fast runner. I'll do that. Or I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'll do that. My job, that's important. I'll do that. Family is another one. Um, finding our identity in our family and in family expectations and in family goals and successes. Finding our identity in the fact that we get along with our kids or we get along with our parents or we get along with our siblings. I've told this story before. There's no danger of her hearing this. In fact, I don't actually even remember who did it. But um, this is kind of a classic example in my mind of this scenario. I was preaching at Good Shepherd one time when I was pastor there. And in the course of my sermon, I was talking about how I'm not a very good parent, uh, which I, I'm not. And there's three people in the room that can give you examples of that. I'm not a very good parent. And um, in the, the handshake line after the service, a, a lady came up to me and she shook my hand and she said, hey, don't worry, don't, don't worry about being a bad parent. And I thought, like, so my instant reaction is like, I'm going to get some gospel from this woman, which I need. Like, I'm always feeling guilty of being a bad parent. Um, I don't have time for stories. But here's what she said. She said, hey, don't feel guilty about being a bad parent. Like, your kids are still young. And, like, my kids went to college. You still have time. And um, your kids will probably go to college someday, too. And I just thought this is, I didn't, you know, it's a handshake line and what I have 10 seconds to say, hey, let, let's talk about each other's idols and let's challenge each other for a few minutes. It's not really an appropriate place to do that. I thought it's extremely sad that her identity had been, and she, she was of that generation where that was a big deal, so I get it, but her identity was wrapped up with my kids all went to college. She lived it. If you talked to her for five seconds, you could expect to hear her say something about how her kids went to college. Which, that's terrific. I'm glad her kids went to college. But that was her identity. That's who she was. And it can't hold the weight of what she expected it to hold. It can't ultimately fulfill her. I'll give you a couple more. Uh, physical fitness is one. I was reading a book by David Zoll where he pointed out that the whole physical fitness scene is its own fake religion. Like you can go to a temple, you can go to a gym, and it has its own liturgy, it has its own order of things you do there. It has its own passing of the peace, the people that you greet there. It has its own music that's specific for gyms. It has its own identity markers, clothes that you wear, phrases that you say, groups of people who aren't in, you know, the, 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 you know, the non-healthy people, who it's very easy to be very, very smug about those unenlightened people. It's its own set of like, this is who I am. And the problem though is that, you know, you, you, you sprain your ankle and you're out for two weeks and it actually affects you the way me losing my job did. Or what's even worse is you're, in that, you're, you're a physically fit person, right? And then somebody comes in the gym one day, and when you walk in, you know, you can tell. You guys have seen this one. You can tell this is different. This person is probably getting paid money to be an athlete somewhere. Everything, everything comes easy to them. And all of a sudden, that shame pops back up. The shame that you lost by becoming physically fit and being in the physically fit church, all of a sudden you feel that shame. So here's your two choices when you build identity on works justification. Your two choices are this, self-satisfaction. Your two choices are like working your butt off to get to I'm a good parent, or I'm a good pastor, or I'm physically fit, or I'm an Olympic runner, or I'm a nice person, everybody thinks I'm nice, or I'm, I'm the super, you can work your butt off to get to that point. You can never actually do it because as soon as you turn around, 
there's somebody whose kids are better than yours. Or, you know, you post stuff on Facebook all the time about you and your beautiful family. And then one day you're in Target and somebody smarts off to somebody and somebody else smarts off to somebody else. And then somebody's crying and then somebody's yelling and then somebody walks around to the sporting goods aisle and you look over and there's somebody you know who's a Facebook friend who sees it happening. And the shame is instantly there. You can work your butt off to become physically fit. But then you run into some professional athlete and you're like, my identity is built around something that I've spent decades building this identity and this guy like walks into the room and blows it away. This is your choice. A a weight you can't bear, shame. That's what self-justification does. That's where Peter was. One last one, and I think I have time for one more. Let me do this real quick. I was uh, reflecting the other day. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day about uh, the triteness of like, you know, the little conversation tags that we put on the end, that we put on the front of conversations to kind of ease into it. You know, the, the, uh, the small talk, you can call it like, how are you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm fine. Um, we were talking about that, like, how are you doing? I'm fine. Uh, how are you? Oh, I'm fine too. And uh, how frequently that doesn't, nobody's actually really fine, but you just sort of say that, right? And then I was, I was thinking about this, like, I actually don't hear that very much anymore. I don't hear that very much anymore. Like, Usually if somebody says to me, it's kind of funny too, I didn't say anything to Nathan and Chrissy, but like I sat down and talked to them before church, and I did it to them. I wasn't even, I wasn't even trying to like create a built-in, a built-in uh, you know, um, illustration for the sermon. I just automatically did it. Hey, how are you doing? One of them said, oh, good man, I just swamped. I'm just swamped right now. Have you ever noticed like how often we do that? Like when somebody says, how are you doing? Instacall, it's uh, I'm doing fine, man. So busy right now, but I'm doing great. Everybody does this. I just I started noticing this a few weeks ago. Everybody starts off their conversations with like, "I'm doing good, man. It is so busy. I've just been running around like crazy." So, what's the deal with that? So, so a we're all busy, right? But here's the thing: What if you came up to me and said, "Hey, Aaron, how are you doing?" I am obligated psychologically to tell you how busy I am at this point. It has become my identity. It has become how I frame myself. So much so that if I just say, if you come up to me and say, hey, Aaron, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm fine. Things are going really well. I actually feel guilty. I feel like I'm letting you down. I feel like I need to send signals to you guys that your pastor is super busy. And I've got just so much going on and my, ad, my, my calendar is just chock full. I feel like I need to signal that to you. Why is that? Because it's how I justify myself. It's I want that to be my identity before you, that I'm a busy person. And you do it too. And it, 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 I think we just all need to be aware that that's actually what Paul's going after. Is Paul saying, Aaron, you're, you're not going to heaven when you die, or you're not right with it. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, is, Aaron, you're finding your justification in things other than Jesus. You're finding your justification in your own works, and you can't possibly carry the weight. I can, I can tell you all day long that I'm busy. And then one of you will come in my office and walk in and be like, what are you looking at on your computer? And I've got some sort of weird Wikipedia rabbit trail pulled up on my computer. And then there's the shame. Then there's the shame. I could probably pass it off like, oh, I'm doing some research for some Bible study I'm doing. You wouldn't know about it because you're not involved. But I could do a lie sort of thing, you know. But really what I'm doing is like I built up this, this is who I am. I'm busy, excellent Pastor Aaron Miller. I've got 30 seconds. Same thing, so we'll come back to that in a minute. Like we all have this, these, This is what justification by works is. You build up an identity, who you are, and you pose to play it off other people to get worth and value from them based upon your own chosen self-identity. We all do it. We all do it. But here's the good news. Faith in Jesus' justification gets free identity from Jesus. Look at verse 19. Classic text here. You guys, some of you guys will know this. For through the law, I died to the law. What that means is this. Through the law, I died to the law. The law here being like, for instance, my busyness. Like the law that I set up for myself is, Aaron, you always have to be busy and involved and successful. Through that law, I end up dying to that law because that busyness law is only gonna wipe me out and then lead to shame when I can't live up to it. Through that law, I died to that law. Why? So I might live to God. Last line of verse 19. So I might live to God. That is so sweet. To die to your own self-justifications to die to your own manufactured identities so that you can live to this God who completely gives you free identity is the heart of the gospel. 
And whether it's a moral law that you're trying to keep, like Luther was targeting in his day, rightly so, or whether it's the law of busyness or successful pastor or I'm in shape or I'm a fast runner or everybody knows I'm super nice and helpful or everybody thinks I'm funny or everybody thinks I'm smart or I've got money and I'm secure and when people look at me, they know that that guy is solidly upper middle class or whatever it is, that those things can't carry that weight. But living in God can because here's what he offers us, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gives himself to me. Here's what he's saying. That what you actually need, you actually need to be loved and completely accepted. You need somebody to give themselves to you completely. When I pretend that I'm like this great pastor, what I'm longing for is your acceptance and your love. And you can't give it to me any more than I could earn it. I see your faces. I watch you during my sermons. I see the bored looks. I see the furtive glances at the wristwatches. I know it's going long. I see some of you drift off mentally. You know why? Because I'm not engaging enough to keep you engaged infinitely. And I want to be so bad. I want you guys to love me so much. And you can't. You can't. And I've got to let that die on the cross of Jesus Christ. Because it will crush me. It will crush you. When I, when I make that my standard for you is that you guys will think I'm interesting and smart and engaging. I will crush you. And it will lead to mutual shame. And Paul is saying, give it up, Peter. Justification only comes by faith in the one who loves you so much and gives himself. Look, I can't love you enough. I can't give myself enough to you to justify your existence. You can't love me enough and you can't give enough of yourself to me to justify my existence, but Jesus can. He loved loved us, he gave himself to us, and that will justify our existence. When God looks at you, he says, you're completely worthy. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to be a good pastor. You don't have to be in shape. You don't have to run a 9-9, 100-meter dash. You don't have to do any of that to be worthy of me because I look at you and for the sake of my son, Jesus Christ, I see him. And the only thing in the universe that, I, that God the Father absolutely loves, absolutely adores, absolutely accepts, no questions asked, is his own son. And when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. Completely, 100% accepted. You no longer have to fight for it. That leads me to my third thing and I'll be done. This will be super quick. If this is true... If faith in Jesus' justification actually gives us worth and value, infinite worth and value, then that, far from saying, well, you, don't know, you no longer need to run, or you no longer need to be a good father, or you no longer need to work at being a pastor, far from that, it liberates me to do those things with freedom. It liberates me to actually love you guys with freedom. Okay, so Harold Abrahams, the reason why he runs is because he gets 10 seconds out of four years to justify himself. The alternate to that, and I know this is, once, this is one of my once every six months illustrations, so just if you've heard it before, just deal with it. It's too good to not give you once every six months. The alternate to that is the other main character in the movie, Eric Liddell, who I've told you before, he was called to be a missionary. Him and his sister went as missionaries to China. Eric Liddell died in China as a missionary, and it is revered by the Chinese people to this day. But at one point, Eric Liddell's sister is like, what? Who can, you're running around in a circle out there, like, it's so worthless. God has called us to go to China and save lost souls. Why are you wasting your time running in a circle? And Eric Liddell says this, a fantastic line. He says, I know that God has called me to China, but he's also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. God has called me to China, but he's also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Do you see the two different ways of living a life as a runner? And this applies to wherever your life is at too, you know. There's two different ways. I get 10 seconds to justify myself. Do you understand what that depends on? That depends on you being faster than other people who are just as gifted as you are. That depends on a stands full of people who actually think it's worthwhile to cheer for you running. If they went away, it would be gone. If there's people faster than you, it's gone. Do you understand the difference between that and Eric Liddell's? I'm justified by Christ and so all I feel is God's love. And I go out there and run, and you know why I run? Because I sense it makes God happy. I can feel God's love for me while I run. Look, here's the deal. You don't have to pay attention to my fantastic sermons, because you can't. And I don't have to preach fantastic sermons, because I can't. 
But if Jesus loves me, no questions asked, and Jesus loves you, no questions asked, I'm free to be whatever up here. I'm free to preach dud sermons, and you know why it's okay? Because I know that Jesus loves me, and I can see it in your eyes. This is a congregation that loves me, and I know that. And if you sit there, I, I promise you, if you sit there and you're like zoned out and you're looking at your watch and you know, whatever, it is totally cool. I can't carry the weight of your attention, but Jesus can. And he tells you and me we're completely accepted, no questions asked. Find out what your justifications are. Do you, do you see now why this is so important? Why justification isn't just about like, oh, that's like, a, like you know, I got baptized, right? I believe in Jesus and now I'm in, right? And so... Now you move on to other portions. No, justification by faith is every minute of your life saying, I might not be very good at what I do. I might be really good at what I do. It doesn't matter because I can feel God's love when I do what I do because God has offered me in his son, Jesus Christ, absolute 100% unconditional acceptance and favor. Stand with me and let's pray. And then we'll have communion. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you know that even as I was standing up there preaching about how I don't want to be, I don't want to seek justification and identity in my sermons, that I was actually trying to seek justification and identity in my sermons. God, I, I really don't know how else to grapple with that idolatry except just to keep constantly praying that you would forgive me of it and that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit and the blood of your Son, Jesus, be wiping that out of my heart. I want to find my worth and value in you. God, please help these people here to keep me accountable. Help me, to, help me to not run down that horrible rabbit trail of shame and unmet expectations, but to keep on going back to your son Jesus and getting my love and acceptance from him. Help all of us to seek our justification by faith in Christ alone all the time. Lord, in your mercy. Father, be with our, um, on this Reformation Sunday, be with our sister LCMS churches. May your gospel as it's preached in all these churches and as your people praise you and as uh, your people receive your sacraments, may we all be pointed towards you. May we all be sanctified. May unbelievers come to faith in you. Be with all of our Bible-believing gospel churches in Edwardsville and Glen Carbon also today. And may your kingdom grow. May, may, may your justification of us be assigned to Glen Carbon that the Creator God in Jesus Christ is now reigning through the power of the Holy Spirit. May a group of people, may we, Father, may your people who don't need justification from the world, who don't need justification from each other even, who don't even need justification from ourselves, disdain that for the love that we receive from you. May that be a sign to Glenn Carbon that Jesus has come and is now King over all things. And may we see your kingdom grow. Lord, in your mercy. Father, be with all those who are struggling with physical sicknesses and with mental sicknesses and with relational brokenness and psychological brokenness and financial concerns. And God, frankly, be with all of us who are struggling with identity concerns too. Who are we? Especially when our identities get challenged and broken. Father, point us back to you all the time. I pray especially this morning that you would be with Charlie who um, is in the hospital now having had a, um, a stroke yesterday. And I just pray that you would heal him, and that you would perform a miracle, and that you would restore the gift of speech to him, and that you would uh, bring him back safe to us and be with Marla and Miriam as they care for him and uh, give them strength and energy for the long road ahead of rehab and recovery. But uh, along with Marla, Father, I want to pray in the presence of this congregation, and, and please everyone, jo join your hearts with this prayer. Father, we want to pray in the name of your Son, Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would do a miracle and heal Charlie. Do something miraculous and cool and so full of glory that none of us have any choice but to stand back and say, God, that's totally you. Father, will you do that for your own name's sake? For Charlie's good, for our good too, who miss him, but will you do that for your own name's sake? Will you do that for the, the magnification of your own glory? Lord, in your mercy. Father, we can only pray any of these prayers because you're so good and so loving and have given yourself to us in such a way that you call us your children. You've made that our new identity. We're adopted into you. And now you let us come into your throne room and ask for you whatever we want, whatever we need. And so we pray all these prayers in the name of our brother Jesus. Amen.
If you can, confess with me the words of our faith in the Apostles' Creed. This is in your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let's pray together in Jesus' name the prayer that He taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, Take, eat. This is My body given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, He also took the cup after supper. And when He had given thanks, He gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in My blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
Now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of your people Israel. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Make sure that you're meeting and talking to people. We experience the full acceptance of God in Jesus Christ when we do that in community. So build, so build that in the next few minutes, okay? Go in peace.